Welcome to The Real Game, a podcast by coaches for coaches. I am your host, Matt Philbrick. Welcome to this episode of The Real Game, and happy Father's Day to all you dads out there. Happy Father's Day to my own dad. I'm pretty sure he won't be listening to this podcast, but I will make sure I call him later. I am heading into this episode today knowing that I was going to be recording this by myself and trying to think through some potential uh, different topics that we could discuss. And I kind of narrowed this down a little bit and zeroed in on spending some time just talking about ways that I fail as a coach and maybe fail isn't the right word, but definitely some areas that I need improvement in as a coach and how to fix those things or how I can work on those things to improve in those areas. So I actually reached out to some other coaches and asked them the same question and got some feedback from them. And I compiled a list of 10 things that I believe after after thinking through this myself and after listening to feedback from some other coaches, it, it kind of seems like these are all pretty common things that coaches go through and some common areas that we coaches in general need to do better at. And I was thinking, you know, I don't know, I, uh, the coaches I reached out to, I, I know personally, so I was pretty sure they would give me feedback. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty sure that none of them are are at a place where they feel like they have arrived as a coach and do all things perfectly. I don't think any coach does. Uh, I feel like if you get to a point in your coaching career where you think you're doing things perfectly and you don't need to improve at anything, then maybe you shouldn't be coaching anymore. Uh, because I feel like there's, there's always room to improve. There's always things that we can do better. Uh, whether it's strategic things or communication type things or, you know, better, better skill development, just everything. Uh, we can always be better, even though um, sometimes it seems like we're doing a good job and the, and the results are there. I feel like uh, there's, there's always definitely room for improvement. And as I look at this list, I think that these are life lessons as well. Like they're not just coaching things, even though some things are coach specific or coaching specific. There isn't anything on this list that's sport specific, um, so these can be these can be used by any coach that's coaching any sport. Uh, so I hope this is helpful to you today. Um, even if you're not a coach, like I said, there there are life there are life things here on this list that I compile that that aren't just my things, but uh, things that I receive from other coaches as well. So these aren't in any particular order. I didn't like rank these from one to 10 or anything. I'm just going to go through them kind of in the order that I receive them. And uh, we'll discuss, you know, we'll just t- take some time to discuss each one uh, a little bit and and give some ideas on maybe how we can improve on these things. And maybe you as a coach are struggling with some of these things as well. Like I said, it was kind of it was kind of fun to see the answers come in because I start to see like a pattern like, hey, you know, this, the, these, these guys, these coaches kind of struggle with similar things that I struggle with. So, so that was kind of neat to see, but all right, so here we go. First thing I have is setting expectations early on. Um, this is, this was an, this was 
one of the things I had on my list, and this was an, an answer that I got from multiple other coaches as well, setting expectations early on. We need to do a better job of setting expectations. And you might be like, okay, well, expectations to who? Um, and that's a, that would be a fair question. I think expectations, obviously, to, to players, you know, whether it's the first day of tryouts, uh, hey, here's exactly what I'm looking for in a player, and here's what I'm looking to keep, and here's what I don't want. Um, practices, you know, expectations for what practices look like, expectations for people that, kids that make the team, you know, what what can you expect to do on this team? What can you expect your role to be on this team? I have tried to be more intentional over the last two seasons, especially in being very crystal clear about players' roles on my teams. So usually the day after I um, announce the team, like these are the guys on the team, if you want, if you want to remain on the team, this is your role, and this is how you fit into the team. And and are you okay with that? You know, do you accept this role? And um, and usually they do. You know, usually they 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 go on and and fill those roles. And and but you know, there's there's other expectations. I feel like we need to set too. Maybe it's expectations with parents. Um, maybe maybe you need to have a parent meeting and say, here's what I expect from your kids. Here's what I expect from you as parents. Here's how you can be involved. Here's how you shouldn't be involved. Um, you know, things like that. Uh, ways that you, as uh, going back to players again, ways that you can represent this team well. Uh, here's what I expect. If you're going to be a part of this team, here's how you will represent this team well. So those are those are just some some things that I can think of in terms of setting expectations. It can be very frustrating, I think, for players to be a part of a team but not know how they fit into a team or what their role is on a team or how they can contribute to a team. So as coaches, we need to be very, very intentional to set clear expectations early on to avoid that frustration and that confusion um, so that the players don't, you know, down the road sometimes say, Hey, I, you know, how do I fit in here? What's my role here? What's going on? You know, how can I, what can I do to, to have a, to have a bigger role or things like that? Just be clear early on. Uh, so that's the first thing. The next thing I have is communicate value to all players. One thing I definitely struggle with, and I, I will admit this, I, it's not a it's not a good thing. It's not something that uh, you know I'm bragging about or anything. For sure, it's 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 uh, it's a problem that that I've recognized in myself, and that is I tend to compliment and spend a lot of time on the top players on my team, and sometimes neglect you know those that might be perceived as well. You guys are just bench guys, or you're you're the last two or three guys. So I might not put my best effort into coaching you guys at this point. So that's why I think that it's important to communicate to all the players on your team that they all have a place on your team. They all bring value to the team, not just the first five or the first six or the first 11 or whatever sport you coach. Um, Kids can get lost sometimes in 
the shuffle of, you know, the routine. They come to practice, they put in the time, but you know, there's, there's just, there are just naturally going to be kids that rise to the top and, and kids that are still, they're still developing. Maybe they're struggling. Maybe they're, they're just not quite good enough for a starting position or whatever. So that, so that you don't, you know, verbalize to them, Hey, I see you. I see you're working hard. I see the effort that you're putting in. I see the time that you're putting in. And eventually that will start to pay off. It really will. And I, I know I, as a coach, need to learn to do a better job at make, making sure that I'm communicating value to all of my players. And and if, in your opinion, there are players on your team that that don't bring any value to the team, I know that might sound harsh, but if you think there are players on your team that don't bring any value to the team and you can't think of anything good to say to them, then they probably shouldn't be on your team. Um, you know, and, and I don't mean that, I don't mean that in a mean way. I just mean if they don't bring anything to the team, uh, then they probably don't deserve a spot on your team. So that, that's another thing that, uh, that was on my list. Next thing is body language, uh, body language, communicating the right body language, uh, at the right time. I had an episode, uh, I think it was the last full length episode I did with Nick Fuller we talked about body language for just a second and we talked about, you know, encouraging kids uh, to be confident um, and how telling them to be confident just isn't enough. So I, I said, Hey, sometimes I tell my players go out and play with confidence and I want all my guys to play with confidence. You want all your guys or girls to play with confidence, but when they fail, what's a, what does our body language say? You know, if a kid dribbles the ball off his foot out of bounds or hits the ball into the net or strikes out or whatever the case may be, you know, and we're disappointed. Yeah. Yeah. We're tr- If we're truly disappointed in that moment at that outcome, you know, we're not really disappointed at that kid per se, but we're disappointed in the outcome of that play. What is, does our body language say it's okay. Does our body language communicate confidence to that kid, the confident, the type of confidence that we want them to play with, or does it show disappointment? Does it show that we're, you know, angry sometimes or uh, sad at the, at the outcome of how something turned out? If we want our, if we, I think if we want our kids to play with confidence and not be afraid to make mistakes, then our body language needs to show that. And that's something that I struggle with. Um, I'm very, when, when I coach, I'm a very interactive, uh, coach. I, I like to stand up. I like to use a sideline. I am expressive. I, you know, talk to my players a lot during the course of the game. So naturally I think in those highs and lows of games, there are times when my body language says exactly what I'm thinking or feeling without me saying anything at all. So that can be that can be a good thing. That can also be a bad thing. So next I have on here, be willing to accept feedback from players. And this is interesting to me because as coaches, we're, we shouldn't have to, we shouldn't have to take feedback from players, right? Like we should know everything. We should know, we should know what play to call when we should know who to put in the game in what situation you know, we should know when to call a timeout. We should we should know all that stuff. 
we should know, uh, hey, we have this team coming up. This is going to be the best defense to stop that team or the best offense to run against that team. Or we should know this game we're going to play slower tempo, maybe more physical, or this game we're going to be a little more up-tempo. You know, as coaches, we should know all that all that stuff. But at the same time, so th- so it is it is hard to accept feedback from players when maybe they they approach us and say, "Hey, coach, uh, maybe maybe we could try doing this, or maybe we could try doing that, or maybe it's even during the course of a game and it catches us off guard a little bit, like in a timeout. Hey, coach, could we try switching our defense to maybe is from from man to man to zone? Like, I think that that would be that would be beneficial right now. And you know, as coaches, we need to be humble enough and willing to accept that feedback when it comes, especially if it's done within the right attitude uh, by a player that we respect. And, you know, if they come to us at the right time with the right attitude and, and, and say, Hey coach, maybe we could try this or suggest certain things. uh, There's, there's definitely a time to swallow our pride and say, Hey, you're, you're out there. You're in the thick of things. You, You might see something that I don't, and let's face it, we all coach kids that some of them have a very high IQ for the sport that they're playing. Um, I've coached some some guys even recently that just really understand the game. And they've come to me at times. I can think of one specifically who who at times came to me and, and asked if we could try something different. And um, I respect him enough to say, hey, let's give it a try. If you think that if we're struggling right now and you think that that might work, let's do it. So as a coach, and uh, and really any this could apply again to anything in life, um, be willing to accept feedback uh, from players, and don't don't be so proud that you think you know you have all the answers or that you know what is perfect and what is right in every single situation. Okay, the next thing: addressing issues with players at the right time and at the right place. We're always going to have situations that come up. I'm thinking of like specifically during games. Okay. I can think of, uh, I'm just going to give you an example. We had a game this past year on the road. It was, it was a really close game and it came down to, it literally came down to the wire because in the, in the end, I'll just tell you now, in the end, we ended up winning the game at the buzzer. All right. So, but at the time, the outcome of the game was really on the line. Um, One of my kids, I, I, I called a timeout and we drew up a specific play that we wanted to run. The next time we got the ball, there wasn't much time on the clock. And one of my kids um, just, they went out and they did something different. Um, and in my mind, I thought, in my mind, I was frustrated. It was one of those moments where my, I'm sure my body language said everything. Um, but I didn't I didn't keep it there. I, I yelled across the court at him and, you know, kind of was like, hey, what are you doing? You know, and I don't, I don't remember the specific words I used, but. I'm sure the whole gym thought, wow, that was pretty aggressive. And, and I didn't, I didn't necessarily mean it to come off uh, harsh or aggressive towards him, but it was a point of frustration for me where I thought, dude, we just, I just called a timeout. We just diagrammed this play and you went out and you did something completely different. Like what, what, what were you thinking there? Like, how were you thinking? And I think we ended up turning the ball over was part of the problem. So how were you thinking you know, that that resulted in a turnover, that that's better than what we discussed in our timeout. So later, so fast forward to 10 minutes later, we had won the game and I wanted to talk to him before he left. He came into the the post game 
kind of team meeting that we have. And, and uh, I caught him out in the hall as he was leaving. And again, there was a few people around and just, and I talked to him for just a second and I said, look, you know, uh, you know, yeah, you made a mistake there and it's fine. We ended up winning the game, which is good. Uh, everybody makes mistakes, but you can't, you know, don't beat yourself up over it. But even in that moment with those people around, I just, I looked back on, and I, and I'll be honest with you, a lot of times I come home and, and, you know, my wife goes to most of the games and she's a great, she's a great, um, second set of eyes for, you know, the way I handle things sometimes. So she's honest with me. She's like, you know, Hey, I think you could have handled this. It's not, not that you handled it terribly, but I think you could have handled it a little bit better. Uh, maybe you could have, you know, how, how you reacted to him in the heat of the moment probably wasn't great. And then, um, talking to him in the hall as he was leaving, especially with other people around, might not might not have been the right time. So for me, learning how to address players at the right time and place is important because there is there is a there's a time and a place, but there's a best time and a best place. And I have to learn when that is. Um, I have to learn the appropriate setting to go back and say, okay, here's the right time to talk about the decision you made in the last game and what were you thinking and why didn't you execute what we call in the timeout and stuff like that. So, all right. The next thing I have is developing skills, developing skills. I think as coaches, a lot of times we spend and it, and it's a balancing act. I know for me, and I can only speak for myself. I, I don't, I do watch other coaches uh, practice, you know, their practices sometimes, especially at my own school. Um, there isn't, you only have an hour and a half, maybe two hours in a practice. So I think a lot of times I personally, as a coach, tend to neglect developing skills and I spend more time on, you know, strategy and X's and O's and working on, you know, defensive things and offensive things when I need to spend more time developing skills and players. And that's what off season, you know, I think off season is good for that. Um, my guys routinely come up to me and say, hey, coach, what can I work on? And my standard answer to them is ball handling. Work on your ball handling. Because I feel like, you know, in basketball, if you can't handle the basketball, then you can't, you cannot be an effective player. So my first thing is always just keep, keep working on your ball handling. Now, there are other things that we work on, too. You know, we work on shooting and shooting form and, and defensive skills and defensive stance and and all of those things. But I think taking time to just develop player skills is something we as coaches need to do better at, because if their skills are sharp, if they know how to dribble and they know how to pass and they know how to shoot and they know proper defensive stance and hand positioning and footwork, all of those things. Um, and that th those are true for any sport you coach. Then the strategy part, the X's and O's part, the execution part comes a lot easier you know, you don't have to worry as much about turning the ball over or making mistakes if your skills are more advanced and more developed than than what we spend time doing a lot of time. So that was a great one. That was a great one. The next one is developing meaningful off the court or off the team uh, building experiences or connections. Um I did a whole episode on this with Josh Beers. I think it was it was one of the first few, like episode three or four, something like that. 
But we talked, we, we did a whole episode on, on player and coach relationships and how important that is and how important it is to make connections as a coach with your players. And I think that there are some players that you gravitate towards naturally and you make easy connections with. And there are other ones that you have to work at it more. Uh, maybe you just don't have the the things in common with that you have with the other players. Maybe you don't share the same interests. Maybe their personality is just abrasive to you, or maybe your personality is abrasive to them and you just don't really, not that you don't get along, but you just don't get along as well as you would with some of the other players. Um, you need to seek out opportunities to make connections with those players and preferably away from the game and off the court. You know, um, what are some things that I've done personally? I have had guys over to my house. Um, last season we had, we picked a day and we had meatloaf Monday. So my wife made uh, literally pounds of meatloaf. And after practice, we got together as a team and we ate meatloaf. And the guys enjoyed that and talked about it for like the next five weeks. Uh, about what a great, great time that that was. Um, we've gone, we, we periodically go to Applebee's and have half price apps together as a team. Um, we, you know, we just spend time and I, and I occasionally will, will call one of the guys and just talk and say, Hey, how, how are you doing? How's this thing going? How's that thing going? Uh, maybe they've had an injury. So I want to stay, you know, I want to stay a little more connected with them as they're working through that injury. So yes, this is, this is a great point we need to develop meaningful off the court team building experiences and connections um you can do that like i said you you could pick that a lot of that will vary depending on what age group you know you coach if you're coaching elementary kids or middle school you're probably not going to meet at a restaurant somewhere and, and have dinner or apps or whatever you know that's high school kids or college kids there are other things you can do i know one of my my middle school coach um, has his, his, uh, has his team over and has pizza and, and just plays basketball at a, like a neutral place once in a while. That's, that's a great team building thing. Uh, one of my other coaches, a couple of them, it, it, he takes his kids to Dairy Queen or McDonald's as a team once in a while. And that's something that they look forward to. So there are definitely a lot of opportunities there to make connections and to develop relationships off the court. And you know what? The, the deeper those relationships are, the, the more, um, not to, not to say this in a selfish way, but the deeper those relationships are and the more you connect with those guys or those girls, the more that they, the more effort and the more that they'll give you on the court and during practice and, and whatnot. So that, that was a great, that was a great submission there. Uh, the next one is working, uh, work on not allowing players with bad attitudes, poor work ethic and difficult parents distract me from my overall team goals. So, wow, there's a lot in that. There's a lot in that comment right there. Okay. So let's just break, let me just break this down a little bit here. Um, and I happen to know who I happen to know who this is and I know some of these situations. So, uh, we ha we've had multiple discussions about this very topic. Um, first of all, if you have kids with, if you have a player with a bad attitude, and I think, I think, uh, player with bad attitude, a poor work ethic, 
if you have a player with a bad attitude, I'm okay with them not being on your team, and you should be okay with not keeping that kid on your team. If you have a if you have a kid with a poor work ethic, again, maybe they don't deserve a spot on your team because being a part of a team is a privilege. It's not a right. They're not entitled to that. Um, I did a whole episode on entitlement, and part of the problem is, you know, we're, we shouldn't be coddling. We shouldn't be coddling athletes, all right? We're trying to teach them to be responsible adults someday, okay? So if they have a poor work ethic or, or a bad attitude, maybe they don't deserve to be on your team, all right? So that right there would eliminate that frustration for you. Now let's move on to the next part, difficult parents. Don't let difficult parents distract you from your overall team goals. It would be ridiculous for me to say we don't all struggle with parents from time to time, right? We do, and it's a real thing, If especially if you're coaching anything below college, high school, youth, middle school, elementary, whatever it is, girls, guys, you are going to deal with parents. You are going to have to have uh, interactions with parents. There are going to be confrontations from time to time, and that's fine. Like, that's okay. Um, take the time to do that. Take the time to address parents. Take the time to listen to concerns, but don't let that distract you from what you're trying to accomplish. And honestly, if you have a parent that gives you that hard of a time, go through the right channels, address it with whoever your, whether it's your athletic director or administration or supervisor, whoever, let them know what's going on. But in the end, if you have a parent that is distracting you that much from doing your job and from from you focusing on your team goals, this is going to, again, this might sound harsh, but maybe their kids shouldn't be on your team. Um, and I don't mean that in a, in a harsh way or, you know, is, and, you're, and you're probably thinking, well, that punishes the kid. Um, unfortunately, yes, it does a little bit. But if you just can't get, if you can't get to the point where that parent is such an issue and a distraction to you and it's, and you've done everything you can on your part to, to fix that, to clear things up, to make things better. And they, they still just keep coming at you for whatever reason, then it might be better if their child didn't play on your team, because if there's no resolution, there, there almost always is a resolution. Okay. Um, but some parents don't like to hear that their kid isn't going to get a certain amount of playing time. Some parents don't like to hear that, their kid is going to play a different position or, you know, some, some parents don't like to hear that their kid is staying and, um, you know, helping clean up after practice or is whatever, whatever they're doing. They don't understand maybe that what their, what their kid's role is. And maybe the kid does, and you'd hate to lose that kid. But if at the end of the day, the parent can't get on board with your philosophy and the way that you do things, um, you know, it might be it might be best just to cut ties at that point. So I hope that's helpful. Um, there shouldn't be many things that distract you from accomplishing your team goals and certainly bad attitudes, poor work ethic and, and distracting parents uh, shouldn't be any of them. All right, here's another one. Uh, doing a better job of evaluations to let them know what they should be shooting for or what their goals should be moving forward. This is something that is that I don't, that I for sure don't do enough of, even though this is another coach that, that submitted this one. 
Um, and I think this is best done at the end of the season, end of end of the year, end of the season evaluations. Hey, here's what you accomplished this year. Here's where you started. Here's where you finished. Have some tangible things for them to look at. You know, here here's how your free throw shooting went this year. Here's how, you know, we did these drills. We did these speed and agility drills at the beginning of the year. Um, here's and do them again at the end of the year. And here's how you progress throughout the year. And here's how you can improve in the off season. Here's what I'm looking for you to do. Um, you started the beginning here, you ended up here now in the next six months while you're off or nine months, whatever it is in the off season, when you come back, you should be here. You know, you should be able to go from A to B. Now we're shooting for C over here and give them, don't just say, don't just say to them, here's where you need to be. Give them ways to get there. Like, uh, hey, maybe your, 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 your free throw shooting was, was not great this year. You only shot 60%. I'd like you to be at 85%. Well, you started out at 60. You finished the year at 68. Here's how you can get to 80 or 85% by the time we start the year next year. You know, shoot 200 free throws a day. Work on your form. Do this. Do that. Watch your footwork. Um, be consistent. Be repetitive. Um, you can apply whatever you want to the sport you coach. But definitely, yeah, evaluating kids and let them know and setting some some realistic and be realistic. You know, don't don't be over the moon aggressive with with your expectations with them, but. Like we discussed in point one, be clear about what your expectations are, um, but be realistic at the same time. So let them know, uh, here's what I expect from you. Here's how you can accomplish that. We're going to reevaluate reevaluate you again at the beginning of next season. So that's great. Here's the last one. Don't be afraid to admit you might not excel at every facet of the game and surround yourself with people who compliment you and make you better. Uh, I think... This is a characteristic maybe of younger coaches that, and it could be a pride thing or whatever. I know I was like this when I was younger. It is, it is not uncommon to see a younger coach um, want to maybe do everything by themselves or, or maybe even be intimidated by people around them that might know more than they do. That's, and that's, I think that's normal. That's a normal way to feel. But as coaches, don't be afraid to bring people in to help you in areas where you might know that you're the weakest. Um, a lot of coaches or many coaches, uh, maybe not all of them, but most coaches don't excel at all teaching all facets of the game. You might be really good at teaching offense, but not that great at teaching defense. I can remember when I taught at uh, Colonial Christian School in Indianapolis, my assistant coach was really good at teaching uh, defense. And that kind of intimidated me at the beginning. In the end, I learned how to use that to our advantage. And we split, you know, we would divide practice time up and I would handle the offensive part of practice. And then I would help him uh, do the defensive part. And I basically let him run that part of practice. And then we would discuss how we were going to incorporate, you know, his, his, what ended up being our defensive philosophy into games. And, um, and that worked out great. And I had to just acknowledge that, Hey, this guy knows, uh, Rick knows more about defense than I do. I'm going to use that. I'm going to, I'm going to tap into that. I'm not going to, 
you know, let my pride win here. And, um, you know, so whatever, whatever that shortcoming is for you, bring, don't be afraid to bring people in, whether it's as assistant coaches or maybe just a volunteer to come help you for a practice or two or three say, Hey, I'm not great at teaching, um, a full court press, but I know you are, and I know you've done it. Would you mind coming in and helping us with that? So don't be afraid to admit that you might not excel at every facet of the game. So be willing to surround yourself with people who can compliment you as a coach and help you be better and, and help you in areas where you're not the best. All right. That is 10 things um, that we as coaches maybe aren't doing the best job at, but we could do better. Um, Hey, coaches, every day is a challenge, right? There's new things every day. Uh, Keep up the good work. Um, Keep, you know, doing your best to, to develop yourself, to improve yourself as a coach. Never stop learning. Never stop getting better. Use, use as much as you preach to your kids to use the off season to improve, you should be doing the same thing. You should be going to coaching clinics or camps and observing or getting online or reading books about coaching, you know, do, do things that are going to stretch you as a coach as well. Don't wait till the season starts to learn. So I hope you enjoyed this episode today of the real game. I'm going to leave you today with a quote by Tony Dungy. And the quote is this, the secret to success is good leadership and good leadership is all about making the lives of your team members or workers better. So good luck, coaches, and coach on.